I'm gonna trade my earthly home for a better one, bright and fair. Christ left to prepare a mansion for his children in the air. I'll join him in that land where tears no sorrow can be found. And I'll receive my mansion, mansion, road and crown. don't have a mic. There we go. You got a mic now? It's not the right mic, but it's a mic nonetheless. Let's get that right mic in there. Let's try it one more time. Alright, there we go. Sorry about that. A little technical difficulties to kick off the week and our daily Bible reading. Um, this week, uh, our reading, as you can see right here, Mark chapter 8 through chapter 12, and today we'll be looking at chapter 8. Um, I wanted to remind uh, anybody and everybody who's watching this to please make sure that you share the video and engage with the video in some way, whether you um, share the video and leave a comment, or leave a comment, like the video, uh, anything along those lines. It really helps the video actually get seen by more people, and that's an important part of this, of course, is we want to be getting the Word of uh, God out there to other people uh, that maybe don't know uh, some of these truths that we're talking about. Um, so, with that said, let's go ahead and get into Mark chapter 8, and you'll notice this week, just as in weeks prior, that there are some similarities uh, with Mark's account as well as Matthew's account. And we'll tie some, tie some connections to that and also look at some of the lessons that Mark provides us. Chapter 8, verse 1. In those days. In what days? Again, we've got to go back. Okay. They were, uh, Jesus was um, healing the deaf man and talking about the traditions and commandments uh, and was coming down to the days in which um, the the days were growing shorter. His, the end of his ministry is coming to an end. But um, the in those days um, is referring to basically right after that. It's almost a chronological type type of a phrase that says next, basically. Uh, when again a great crowd had gathered and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from far away. And his disciples answered him, How can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? And he asked them, How many loaves do you have? They said, Seven. And he directed the crowds to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people, and they set them down before the crowd. And they had a few small fish. And having blessed them, he said that they that these also should be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied. And they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. And there were about four thousand people. And he sent them away. And immediately he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmatha. Alright, so, um, first off, let's talk about the feeding of the the 4,000 here. Um, what does Jesus actually do? I think a lot of people have questions about whether Jesus um, multiplies the fish. 
or or what happens. Some say, oh, he cuts the fish up into little tiny pieces, and just that little tiny piece is enough to feed them. I don't think that's the case either, because 4,000 people is a lot of people. Um, and if you remember Matthew's account, it's about 4,000 men, not counting the women and the children. So there's a lot of people here that need to be fed. And so um, we don't know how Jesus does, well, we know how he does it. He does it because of the power that's within him and the, through the work of the Spirit. But what he does to the fish and the loaves, we don't know what he specifically does, other than it says he took the seven loaves, gives thanks, and he breaks them and gives them to the disciples to set before the people. They had seven loaves and was it two fish, a few small fish, I think is what Mark's account says. Um, and after that, they took up seven baskets full of scraps, leftovers, basically. Now, seven loaves and a few fish alone would not be enough to fill up seven baskets. So in some through the power of the Spirit, of course, Jesus multiplies these few pieces of bread and, and few fish and um, fed a crowd. Why did he feed them? Well, he has compassion on them. Uh, and the same reason that uh, we are fed today by the Word, and the same reason why we should be spreading the Word to others is because we have compassion on them. We are feeding them with the truth and the, the, the spiritual fruit um, that is available in God's Word. Um, and if we're not sharing God's Word with people, does that then mean that we don't have compassion on them? Because we're not able to or not willing to share the good news. And there's often a question, of, uh, and there's a, a difference between willing and able. You know, not all should be teachers, um, but we should all be living the life that we're expected to be living and teaching, at least through our example, and leading people to ask us questions about why we do the things that we do or why we don't do the things that they do uh, and the faith that drives that. Um, and if we have compassion on them, of course, that compassion drives us to want to tell them the truth because we want them to be with us in heaven. And that is compassionate. So the Pharisees again come back into play, and they came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why does this generation seek a sign? Truly I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them, got into the boat again, and went to the other side. You can, you can just sense from Mark's account here the, the frustration, the annoyance on Jesus' end of, of these Pharisees. He sighed deeply in his spirit. Uh, my oldest son is in this phase of life right now where if I tell him to do something, he sighs. He just, or huffs. Drives me crazy. But I just picture Jesus doing that. Like, uh, just the longest eye roll possible and deep sigh in his spirit. It doesn't say that he did this outwardly. It says he sighed deeply in his spirit. Um... I think a lot of times we've experienced this exact emotion around things. Perhaps maybe we've been talking to someone about faith and, and trying to spread the gospel and, and they say something that just makes your heart drop. It just makes you sigh deeply in your spirit. Um, and I think we can relate to that as we, as we hear Jesus' words here and of course we hear uh, as we hear what the, the Pharisees are pushing for. Uh, my wife is watching the stream and she says she feels like she sighs deeply in her spirit a lot. Um, that is probably true and I can't, 
I, I don't want to know how many times that's because of me. But um, yeah, we we experience it a lot, and uh, and I think Jesus does as well. This is the first time though that we hear about this. It's just in his reaction to uh, to the Pharisees and how they are um, seeking a sign. Why are they seeking a sign? Well, it says to test him. Um, one has to wonder though, what if Jesus said, okay. All right, I'll, I'll I'll give you a sign. I'll give you a sign from heaven. Do you think that would have changed the Pharisees' hearts? I don't think it would have. And I think that's one of the main reasons why Jesus didn't do it. Because he's doing signs from heaven. What more do they need? He just fed 4,000 people plus with a few loaves and a few fish. He's healing people. But yet they want a sign. Reminds me of that comedian, here's your sign. What more do you need? Verse 14. Now they, being the disciples, had forgotten to bring bread. They had only one loaf with them in the boat. They had just fed 4,000 people with seven loaves and a few fish. And now they're back in the boat and they forgot to bring bread. What happened to the seven baskets? They probably gave them to the people to take with them on their journey. Box them up. To-go boxes, right? Verse 15. And he cautioned them, saying, Watch out. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember when I broke the five loaves for the five thousand? How many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? They said to him, Twelve. And the seven loaves for the four thousand, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, Seven. And he said to them, Do you not yet understand? Now, we talked about this on Sunday in our lesson about being hard-hearted and the hard thoughts that come from hard hearts. Um, and if you would like to listen to that sermon, the link is in the video description of this post. Uh, and you can go back and listen to that. But we talked about this verse. And we talked about the fact that we can look at this verse today and look at the disciples and just have an ultimate facepalm moment and say, what don't they understand? <clears throat> what don't the Pharisees get? What don't the Herodians get? Why Why do the disciples who are following Jesus, they have left everything behind, they have left their families behind to follow Jesus, he's done all these miraculous and amazing things, and yet they still don't get it. Oh, we forgot bread. Jesus is saying, you don't need bread. I got you. Don't you get it? I will provide for the needs that you have. Do you not yet understand? Why didn't they understand? Because their hearts were hard. And again, I encourage you, if you didn't get to get a chance to listen to last uh, Sunday's sermon, um, <clears throat> go, take, go give that a listen. We talk about alternatives to hard hearts. But Jesus actually gives... Um, he gives them something that they need to do. He gives them some instruction on what they need to do to get rid of hard hearts here in a few verses. Let's continue. Verse 22. And they came to Bethsaida, 
And some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, and he, he asked him, Do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And he sent him to his home, saying, Do not even enter the village. Being just a, a humor-minded person, this reminds me of when I go to the optometrist. It was like Jesus is going, all right, one, two, one, or two. Uh, <laughs> he spits on his eyes and, and lays his hands on him, and at first he sees, but he's unable to fully perceive. Um, do you think there's a reason why that story's in there? You know, Jesus opened the eyes of the disciples to many things. But yet they didn't always fully see. When Jesus spoke in parables, he gave them stories that we can look at today and glean meaning from and, and understanding from. But back then it didn't, it didn't register. Um, they were basically seeing the people, but they looked like trees. Um, rather than seeing the people for who they were. Rather than seeing the clear picture. So when Jesus had fully opened his eyes and restored the sight of the man, um, Jesus sent him away, away to his home and, encouraged, and tells him to not enter the village. This is a blind man. Blindness in this day was very common. As we see, a lot of people are, are coming to Jesus to be healed from, of, of their blindness. Now, blindness in that day may not have just been the inability at all to see at all. Um, you know, complete darkness, blindness. Um, blindness could have encompassed many things, like me taking off my glasses. I can't read anything on my screens right now. And so that could have been considered blindness. And really, when you look at this and you consider what happens after Jesus first heals the man, he basically heals the man and he has vision like I have here, in which I can see things, but it's just a blur. Um, and then it's a, another level of blindness that Jesus then removes from him. And so, um, again, that just kind of gives us a little bit of understanding about the word blindness and, and blind in in the Bible and, and how people um, were categorized into that. Of course, bifocals, eyeglasses weren't a thing back then, um, and n neither were optometrists. So um, Jesus was the one who could heal the nearsighted and the farsighted, uh, and he can also he heal the blind, uh, and he can heal the hard-hearted, uh, and we, he can heal, heal, the, uh, heal those who have um, hardened minds as well. Um, and that's where we get into next. Verse 27, Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi, and on the way he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others one of the prophets. And he asked them, But who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, You are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. What? So Jesus just told the blind man, Don't even enter the village. And then he tells his disciples, Don't tell anybody about me. Don't tell them that I am the Christ. Don't tell them that. Why? It's not time yet. The reason why he tells the blind man not to enter the village is because he's a blind man. He couldn't see. And from what we gather here, he was completely blind. Not just, oh, things are kind of fuzzy. He was blind blind. If a blind man walks into town, no longer blind, not walking into walls or bumping into things or anything like that, people are going to notice. 
And so Jesus says, don't go into the village, because if he does, people are going to see him and say, hey, why aren't you blind? Remember, they are in the villages, uh, uh, here with the disciples. They're here in Caesarea Philippi, and here they're in Bethsaida. So these are regions, as you notice, it says some people brought to him a blind man. Some people, not a crowd, not a large number of people. So it would seem that Jesus is kind of in this state of not having a lot of people around him. And I think that's the state that Jesus likes to be able to be doing his ministry uh, because, um, you know, when he sends out the multiple, the, the disciples in two by two to, to prepare the way for him, or um, when he goes out to desolate places and the people still come to him, he wasn't able to go into towns. I mean, look back a few chapters when he was just walking through the town and the woman put, pressed up and tried to touch his garments and so that she could be healed. Um, you know, and, and this, it seems, is not surrounded by the people. And so Jesus is trying to keep a low profile here. Um, but ultimately, because it's not yet time for the truth about him being the Christ um, to, be, to be revealed. And then in verse 31, he began to teach the disciples that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. Right there is enough reason why Jesus doesn't want the disciples to tell people who he is. Because he has to suffer many things. He will be rejected, and he will be killed, but he will raise again. But the time for his death has not yet come. And so that's why Jesus says, wait. Verse 32, and he said this plainly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And calling the crowd to him, now the people, he calls the crowd to him with his disciples, and he said to them, If anyone, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man gain to return? Uh, uh, I'm sorry. What, for what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. So. This is where Jesus gives the disciples the answer they need, or the thing that they need, in order to rid themselves of a hardened heart. Well, what is it? It says in verse 33, after he tells Peter to get behind him, Satan, he says, You are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Right there. Set your, things, or set your mind on the things of God not the things of man. This goes back to previous lessons we've talked about, the traditions of man. But set your mind on the things of God. And then he gives them a very important teaching, one that we've talked about in Matthew and we'll talk about again, is to deny oneself, take up your cross, and follow him. Taking up your cross means to lift up and pick up the instrument of your death as we'll see Jesus does himself, physically carrying his cross. 
But the important part of this teaching, and really an important part of Christianity and overcoming a hard heart, is denying yourself. We are naturally lovers of self. We are naturally selfish people. To deny oneself is a concept that is completely uh, foreign to many people. But lovers of self cannot be followers of Jesus. One cannot faithfully follow Christ when their first allegiance is to themselves alone. Discipleship is about commitment. It's not a casual, no-strings-attached relationship. Christianity demands that we, are, that we are done with ourselves completely. We have to deny ourselves. It's not easy. No one said it would be easy. But it's something that we have to do. Now there are many people in this world who believe in Jesus. They, they admire Jesus. They, they want to follow Jesus. But they don't want to make many changes. Or they don't want to make any changes. They'll follow him so long as it doesn't require them to do very much. I've been in that boat. And I would say the boat that I was in, in which that was the case for me mentally, that I wanted to, I wanted to follow Jesus, but I wasn't able or willing. I wasn't willing. I was able. I wasn't willing to give everything up and, and follow him. I wanted to follow him, but it just required too much of me. Well, when my world came crashing down, what was I left with? I didn't have that hope. But the reality is, is that all prospective disciples must be willing to deny themselves. Following Jesus is going to disrupt your life. It's going to cost you something. It's going to cost you friends. It's going to cost you family. It's going to cost you relationships. It's going to cost you time, commitment. What have you sacrificed to follow Jesus? It's a question I ask myself often. And it's something I think many people, many Christians should ask themselves. If the answer is nothing, then are you truly following him? If the answer is probably not enough then it's probably time to reevaluate things it's time to reevaluate priorities jesus isn't asking to be a priority in your life he isn't asking to be the top priority in your life jesus is asking to be your life the last statement that jesus makes there in um, at the beginning of chapter 9 in a weird way, weird place to put a chapter change in there, but they did nonetheless. He said to them, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. The kingdom of God is here today. The kingdom of God is available, and entry into it is simple. Jesus says, Deny yourself, take up your cross. And follow him. To follow him means to obey him, and to obey him means to obey his commands. And Jesus says in Mark chapter 16, which we'll get to here in a couple of weeks, that whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not will be condemned. Baptism is how one gets into Christ. 
There's a lot more that can be said on that. If you have questions about that or would like to study further about that, we'd like to help you and assist you with that. If you have any need that we can assist you with through prayer or study, we want to help you with that as well. You can contact us here on Facebook privately through messages. You can also email us at info at loveland.church as well. Uh, if you'd like to catch up on previous episodes, you can do so on our website, loveland.church. As I mentioned before, that's where our sermon archive is as well, and you can follow all that up. Um, but if you go up to the media section up top there, that's where you can find the sermon audio and the daily Bible study section, and you can catch up on uh, previous lessons through the whole book of Matthew, the first eight chapters now of Mark, uh, and you can also subscribe to the podcast version there as well. I hope this study has been uh, beneficial to you. I know it is greatly beneficial for me to be able to get into the Word in this way and to share it in this way and vocalize it. I feel I get so much more out of the Word when I read it outwardly, when I speak the Word uh, out loud. Um, there's different things that you hear when you say it yourself rather than just reading it in your mind um, because speaking involves both the mind and the heart um, as you're reading things. So, um, I hope this has been beneficial to you. If you have any questions, you can always leave those in the comments section, or as I mentioned before, you can email us at info at loveland.church. I hope you have a great rest of your day, uh, and be blessed. Train my earthly home for a better one, bright and fair. Christ left to prepare a mansion for his children in the air. I'll join him in that land where tears, no sorrow can be found. And I'll receive my mansion, mansion, road, road and crown.